Father, we do ask you to have your hand upon Israel right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, for wisdom, for their leadership, wisdom for our leadership, our country. And we pray, Lord, for those that don't know you in Israel, pray for the, the Palestinians, Iranians, Arabs. We pray, Lord, for the people to all be in touch by this, that they would come to know Christ. We ask you to draw people's hearts. We pray in the midst of all of this chaos, we ask for mercy, Lord. Pray that you remember mercy, Lord. As you align nations, Lord, for what you prophesied would come to pass, we ask that, Lord, it would be done speedy. We pray for fulfillment of the Great Commission in our lifetime and the fulfillment of all the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Pray you speak to us through your word now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The events of this last week in Israel have started a firestorm that will eventually burn throughout the Middle East and the whole world. I mean, the stage was already set when Israel came back to the land, promised land that was prophesied to happen after 1,900 years of being dispersed. The stage was already set when they were surrounded by enemies who uh, hate her and want her destroyed, which was also prophesied, these prophecies, over 2,600 years ago by prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah and so forth have made these prophecies, Daniel, on and on about what would happen. So the stage was, has been set and all history really needed was a match to be thrown onto the gasoline. And that happened last week when Hamas launched hundreds of rockets from Gaza into Israel. And the end time clock is now ticking. Make no mistake about it, there is no going back to how it was. So what should the church's response be to all this? Well, there are some things that Christians should know about Israel. What God's word says about Israel. And many of you received an email <clears throat> from me about that, uh, the four things that all Christians should know. If you didn't receive that email last night, then we have hard copies in the foyer. And I urge you to read it, to study it, to know what Christians should know about what God says about Israel. Secondly, we should be in prayer. We're told, Psalm 122, verse 6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're told to do this. So we need to be praying, praying for this land, praying for the people, praying for all the people, praying for the Jewish people, the Israelites, Israelis, pray for Palestinian people, pray for all those who are touched by this. Remember that Jesus died for all people. And we should also do one more thing, and that is something I want to talk about next week. 
You know, God is going to accomplish all of his end time purposes. Nothing can stop the promises of God being fulfilled. No powers on earth, no powers in hell can stop it. It will come to pass exactly as he said it would. He will accomplish all of his purposes and all of his promises to Israel. He will accomplish the fulfillment of the Great Commission, where every people, tongue, and tribe will have representatives around Christ one day, exalting him. And he will accomplish his purposes in the church. Now, what are his purposes that he wants to accomplish in the church? Well, Jesus is coming back for a passionate bride and a pure bride and a unified bride. Remember, Jesus isn't coming back for a harem. He's coming back for a bride. There is going to be a unified, passionate, pure bride. And one of the things that we are celebrating today on International Sunday is becoming a church that is more and more ready to meet the bridegroom when Jesus comes again, to be a unified bride. One of the things the church is known for, if it's going to be unified, is its love for one another, a love that really overcomes things like ethnicity and a love that overcomes different nationality, a love that overcomes different social and economic status. It's a different kind of love than the world knows. And that's the kind of love I want to talk about today before we move across and celebrate what God is already doing here. Jesus commanded his followers to this different kind of love. Let's look at it. John 13, verse 34. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So why is this a new commandment? What is new about this commandment? Now the key to understanding what is new about this commandment is the second part of the verse where he says, as I have loved you. And I really see two ways that the commandment to love each other is new in the words of Jesus here. First, the commandment here is new because it is a command to live out the love of Jesus. We are to be living out the love of Jesus. So it's a new commandment in that we have a pattern in Christ. But also, this is a command for us to Live on the love of Jesus. To live on the love of Jesus. And that is that not only is there a pattern living living out the love of Jesus, there is a power for us to live on the love of Jesus. So it is a new commandment in these two ways. We now have this clear pattern of what it looks like to love one another. Jesus modeled it. He gave an example of how to do it. But also, now there is going to be a power source supernaturally in Christ enabling us to live on this, you know, live on the power of, of, of loving one another. Now, this idea of loving one another, of course, is, is not new. Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it was already in the Old Testament that we are to love each other, but 
What's new is that we now have a pattern to live by, and now we now have a power to live on. Let me talk about those two briefly. First, this pattern to live by. Now, Jesus, he says in John 13, we are to love one another as he has loved us. But if we go back in John 13 to the beginning of that chapter, he actually gives the example how to do that. Let's look at this. John 13, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's go to jump to verse 4. And then he does what? He demonstrates this. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's go to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Here it is. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is giving us an acted out pattern of how to love as he loves. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So we don't have to guess what that looks like because he gave us an example, a pattern. He says, do as I did. Just moments ago, I gave you the example, he says. So do as I did. John Piper, I think, rightly points out here that the pattern is to lay aside status and be a servant. Lay aside any position and be a servant. Lay aside any prestige and be a servant. Lay aside any standing and be a servant. And that's how we are to love one another here at Grace. We lay aside whatever status you have, rank, privilege, prestige, and we take the form of servants. And we treat each other as more important than ourselves. Verse 14, Jesus says, if, then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Basically what he's saying is by, by virtue, of, vir, virtue of my status and my rank and my privilege as Lord and teacher, you should be washing my feet. But instead he washes their feet. He gives us that example. And of course, many of you know that in those days they... They wore sandals, they didn't wear shoes or socks, and, and they walked about everywhere they went, and their feet were caked in dirt, and somebody had to do the dirty work of washing feet. And Jesus does this lowest of all positions and washes their feet. He laid down any sense of entitlement, and he washes and he serves and washes their feet. And so we are, so that now we have our model. <clears throat> if I'm going to love as Jesus loves, I know what it looks like. I don't have to wonder what that looks like. It means that I humble myself and serve others, treat them as more important than myself. So we live out the love of Jesus. That's how this is a new commandment. We live it out. We have an example. There's also a power for us to live on. That's the second point. It's another angle here. 
Jesus gives us this a new commandment, but this time, he's not only going to give us a pattern, we're going to see it in a moment, he's going to give us a power source to do it. John 15, 12, two chapters later, in the Gospel of John, we have the closest words that parallel the words of John chapter 13. In John 15, 12, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here it is again. Love one another as I have loved you. It's a new commandment. This is my commandment. But now this time, he's not going to give a pattern for how to do it. He's going to give a power source enabling us to do it. Because in John 15, if we, go, if we go to verse 9 and 10, we see something really important. Let's look at it. John 15, 9 and 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Listen to this now. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus says that the key to his love was his relationship with his Father. He says, I abide in his love. So Jesus has this real close relationship with his heavenly Father. He abides in this constant, perfect union of love with the Father. And the effect of that, the effect of that connection between the Son of God and the Father, God the Father, that connection, that abiding in that love, is there is this love is now released through Jesus. But then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Now you abide in my love. So now as we abide in this close connection with Jesus and we abide in his love, in this, in this close friendship, in this communion, in this intimacy, as we do that, we have this love now enabling us to supernaturally love other people. And then he gives this example, gives us this visual from a vineyard. He says in verse 5 of John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot love supernaturally apart from Christ. You can't do it. So this idea of, of abiding is crucial for me able to, being able to bear fruit. So we have this picture of the vineyard. And again, let me just give you this little picture here. Imagine this is the vine. And this is the branch, and then it bears much fruit, the grapes. And what we need to see, what Jesus is pointing out is this. This connection point where the branch, which is us, is connected to the vine, which is Christ. This connection point is where the sap flows through the branch and produces the fruit. So the better the connection, the bigger the connection, the least obstructed connection, the more will the power flow through to bear fruit. And he's using this picture that as we are connected to Christ, the better the connection, you know, the bigger the connection you have with Jesus, the more supernatural love can flow through you. You will bear much fruit. And the ultimate fruit to bear is supernatural ability to love. So he gives us this beautiful picture in the vineyard of how we are to be able to love others. The power is available through Christ. 
What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that I'm connected to him closely. It means that I am connected to him in my thoughts. I'm connected to him in my affections. I'm connected to him in my trust. I'm walking with him. There's a friendship. I'm talking to him. I'm listening to him. There is this close communion relationship and connection. It's an intimate friendship with Christ. It's beyond just categories of I have a meeting here, a time of prayer here, a Bible study here. It's where I get, my goal is to break beyond just categories and and different separations, but that I am in a relationship and I am connected with him throughout my day. That's where we want to go. We do have times where, yeah, times where I pray and times where I read my Bible, but our goal is to get beyond that. Not to, never, not to ever stop doing that, but to get beyond just moments and have this flowing connection of walking with him and talking with him and living with him. And that connection enables me as I'm abiding in him and his love and I have the supernatural ability to, uh, to then love other people. Now let me just say a word about the people that are hard to love. You got the example you understand you abide in Christ, but you just aren't feeling it. So I talked about living out, you know, the, the love of Christ, living on the love of Christ. There's something else I'll just throw in, and that is leaning into Christ. There's times where you're just like, I'm just not feeling it. And just at that point, I just want to encourage you, just lean into Jesus right then. Take a deep breath and lean into him. And lean into his power and say, Lord, I need your strength. I need you to help me supernaturally love. And then love others. So we have our pattern. Our pattern is to humble ourselves and be servants, treat others more important than ourselves. And then we have the power source. Abide in him. Abide in him, walk with him, talk with him, and love other people. Sometimes it's going to be hard, so I just throw one more in there. Just learn to lean into him. Lean into him. And just draw from him, talk to him, say, Lord, I need, I need strength right now to love supernaturally, supernaturally. And here at Grace, we have a very special church family. And I'm so happy to be part of this church family that, that loves each other so much. There's so much love in this place. There's so much love between the saints here. And we're going to experience a taste of that as we go across the street. I'm going to ask Steve Hedlund to make his way up here. Steve's going to share a few thoughts before we move across to the Life Center. And as Steve comes up, I want to say that, uh, I want to say something about Steve. He doesn't know I'm going to say this. Steve is one of the best examples that I know of a person who loves like Jesus. He doesn't want me saying any of this, by the way. I've never, I've never, I've known Steve a long time. I've never seen him consider himself more important than others. He's sacrificial in his loving and serving and giving. He knows how to love others because he knows how to abide in Jesus. And we're blessed to have him as part of our church family and part of our staff. You guys excited about International Sunday? I mean, this is something that we look forward to all the time. And let me just tell you about a little bit what, what's going to happen here, what we're doing, and why we're doing it.
because I think if you know why we're doing it, it's uh, even more exciting. But Gary mentioned that we're at the end of a chapter in this age. I mean, there's stuff about to happen that has written about in Scripture, and I want us to look at one of those prophecies of what's going to happen that relates to what we're doing today. And that's Revelation 7-9. I don't have the, the scriptures up here because I want you to listen to what I say. And if you want to look in your own Bibles, that's good because it would be great if you circled some of the things that I mentioned today in your Bibles. Revelation 7-9, this is remembered by the Apostle John as he's peering into the future and seeing some of the things that are going to happen. And he writes, after this, I looked and there in front of me, before the throne of God and the Lamb is a multitude of people, a throng of people. There are so many that nobody could count from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. And they were wearing white robes and they held palm branches in their hands, just like Palm Sunday, remember? And they sang a song in all those languages. They weren't speaking English, guys. They were speaking their languages. And the song that they sang is salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you guys have read that before. And if you've been here at Grace Community for very long, you're excited about that prophecy. You're excited about the, this is a day that is coming and we know it for sure. But if you're like most of us, when we read prophecy, we kind of think, okay, that's going to happen. And we don't think about how it's going to happen. This isn't just something where God snaps his fingers and suddenly there's a, all these tribes in front of the throne. This isn't something where it just happens. This is something that is a long, several thousand year grueling process that was started by Jesus who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something that he needed to hang on to but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness like us in the appearance of a human he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God raised him up and gave him the place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. That's how it started. Jesus becomes human, living in poverty, is raised up, rejected by people, beaten, put on a cross, and dies. But that's not the last of the story. Because he raises to life in victory. And just before he steps off this planet, he calls his disciples together. And he explains to them how the prophecy that is later written in Revelation 7, 9 is going to be fulfilled. He pulls them together and says, guys, I'm the new king. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore, you guys who have been learning from me, you guys go and make disciples of all those nations, those nations that we just read about in Revelation 7-9. All nations. You make them disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. And I'll be with you through the whole thing. And so they take him seriously. And they go out and through a process of blood, sweat, and tears by the power of the Holy Spirit. They give their lives for this purpose of bringing all nations under the kingship of Jesus. All of them. But if you guys noticed... We're not quite done yet. We're almost there. After all these years, we are so close. And I'm giving my life, the last 22 years or so of my life, to tr accomplishing this purpose that Jesus gave us. And guys, I think we can accomplish it. I think we can get it done. That's what we're trying to do. We really believe this is a finishable task. We got a little bit more to go. And yet Jesus tells us that there's going to be something that we need in this last paragraph of the last chapter of this age. And he tells us that in a prayer that he prays in John 17, verse 23, the night before they execute him, he prays and says this. I in them. Speaking of you guys, I and them and you, Father, and me, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them just the way you love me. Do you guys catch that? There's a conditional clause in that prayer that he's praying. How will the world know? How will the world know? Jesus says, may they be brought to complete unity so, unity so that the world will know. Guys, the reason that we're doing International Sunday today isn't just because we like Indian curry and Nigerian goat soup. Although you will like it if you try it. Guys, the reason we're doing International Sunday, the reason we do this is because we are declaring to the enemy and declaring to the world that there is one king over all people, all nations, all languages, that all the divisions that existed that were built by humanity and the, and the fall of humanity, those divisions are gone. The dividing wall has been broken down, and we are one. No more division between rich and poor, between Jew and Arab, between white and black and Asian and Mexican and Filipino and Japanese and Hadza and Adta. No more. Yeah, we're unique, and we celebrate that diversity. We really do. Because we're going to see it for eternity. And yet, we are one in Christ. We're one in him. Amen. 
And so today, as we finish up this service, you're invited not just to go over there and try some food, but to participate in what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do among the nations. So, guys, let's stand up and let's pray to close this service. And as we do, just remember this. If you've got kids, your kids want to be over there too. And so are the people who are watching them. So make sure you go in eventually and get your kids before you go over there. And notice that I didn't say anything about everybody else who's planning not to go over there. Pastor Gary told me you have to go over there. It's not an option. So don't go get in your car. If you do, Pastor Gary's going to be out there trying to keep you here. Um, this is important, guys. You're not, just, you're not just trying food. You're not just looking at a museum. You're participating in the glory of Jesus that is made manifest, that is shown through the multiplicity of the nations. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for what you've done in this church. And thank you for what you're doing in the world. And Lord, here we are as a congregation of people who are giving our lives, our energy, our money, our time to the fulfillment of the Great Commission, where you get maximum glory from all people groups on this planet. Would it be, Lord, that we get to see that in our lifetime? Would it be? Would you come quickly, Lord Jesus, and fix this mess? And in the meantime, we rejoice and we celebrate you. We celebrate you now in the World Fair. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.